I will also join with others who have said thank you for worshiping with us today here in person and online. And as we're beginning 2023, we're asking what's it like to be Jesus' people? And one of the ways we're doing that, we're going to be between now and Pentecost, We're going to join congregations all around the world looking at the same passages of Scripture. And today, we are looking at the baptism of Jesus. And I begin by reminding some of you who may know the story, The River by Flannery O'Connor. It's about the day a young boy, Bevel, is taken by his sitter to the river to see a baptism. His sitter's name is Mrs. Conan. Have you ever been baptized, the preacher asked. What's that, he murmured. If I baptize you, the preacher said, you'll be able to go to the kingdom of Christ. You'll be washed in the river of suffering, son. You'll go by the deep river of life. Do you want that? And Bevel just happens to be the child of alcoholic and abusive parents. Yeah, the child said. I won't have to go back to the apartment then. I'll go on to the river. You won't be be the same again, the preacher said. You'll count. And without more warning, he tightened his hold and swung him upside down and plunged his head into the water. We don't baptize that way (laughs) yet. He held him under while he said the words of baptism. Then he jerked him up again and looked sternly at the gasping child. Bevel's eyes were dark and dilated. You count now, the preacher said. You didn't even count before. The little boy was too shocked to cry. He spit out the muddy water and rubbed his wet sleeve into his eyes and over his face. Don't forget his mama, Mrs. Conan called. She's sick. Lord, said the preacher, we pray for somebody in affliction who isn't here to testify. And then he looked at Bevel. Is your mother sick in the hospital? Is she in pain? And Bevel just stared at him. She hasn't got up yet, he said. She has a hangover. The air was so quiet, he could hear the broken pieces of the sun knocking on the water. Do you remember your baptism? Today, we recall the baptism of Jesus, and at the same time, I invite you to remember your baptism, to remember that day when saints and not-so-saintly people all count after all. When we get to Matthew's account of the baptism of Jesus, it is short, it is direct, and it is to the point. It begins in Matthew chapter 3, verse 13. Then Jesus came from Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, let it be so now. For it is proper for us in this way to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented. And when Jesus had been baptized, just as he came up from the water, suddenly the heavens were opened to him and he saw God's spirit descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from the heavens said, This is my son, the beloved, with whom I am well pleased. This is the word of God for the people of God. We do love to baptize, don't we? 
And I think we should ask, as people who put Baptists on the sign out front and on the building out front, what does, it mean, what does it mean to belong to a group of people who use the adjective baptize to describe just how we fit into Christianity? Does it mean anything? Should it mean anything? Well, let's go back in history for just a moment. In 1646, Anglican critic Daniel Fetley said about the dippers that's what your ancestors were called by the way in england the dippers they preach and print and practice their heretical impieties openly they flock in great multitudes to their jordans and you should gasp at this both sexes enter into the river and are dipped after their manner with a kind of spell containing their erroneous tenets and as they defile our rivers that's kind of hurtful as they defile our rivers with their impure washings so the presses sweat and groan under the load of their blasphemies well I'm glad we all treat each other better these days and at least we realize we're not competing with each other we're all in this wide stream of Christianity asking important questions what does it mean to be Jesus people what does it mean to follow the example of Jesus our Lord? Baptism should be. It should be more than just a command to follow. It should be more than just a rite or a ritual and now you happen to be a member of some local church. It, it's an act that we experience. It is an act of faith, a celebration of grace, an enactment of the Word of God. And we don't usually gather at the river anymore. We happen to have one of the nicest baptistries I have ever had the privilege of participating in. We could get about 20 of you in there. It is wonderful. And it is warm year around. When I was in seminary, we were in Kentucky, just outside of Frankfort, Kentucky, at a wonderful church that did not have a baptistry. You wanted to be careful about those evangelistic sermons in the wintertime. But we did baptisms. It was the equivalent of a city block. There was the Elkhorn River. And there's a historic covered bridge, well over 100 years old, that everyone's very proud of. And the church in the community had built this wonderful concrete pad and picnic tables. And we would do baptisms underneath the covered bridge. And you would come up out of the water and have homemade ice cream. It doesn't get much better than that until one Sunday when we were there and doing baptisms and I'm standing there and looking at this teenager and we're getting ready to be baptized and there's a deacon standing on the bank and he's trying to get my attention without anyone else without disturbing them and he's pointing and I turn around and this is why we have baptistries there was a snake coming our way I come from a long line of Pentecostals but we don't go that far and I I still remember pushing that snake to the side as it went on down and hoping the teenager never saw it, and we went on with our celebration. We do love baptisms. Matthew skips 30 years as he goes from the childhood to Jesus to suddenly Jesus is in the wilderness, and there is John the Baptist in the wilderness preaching this story. John the Baptist, this Elijah character, this poorly dressed prophet and he doesn't go to Jerusalem he doesn't go to the temple instead the people come out to him and they listen to the warning about the kingdom of God 
that is at hand. Even Pharisees and Sadducees and religious leaders, they're all there. And then there's Jesus. It's always been a point of discomfort to talk about Jesus coming to be baptized by John. Matthew is well aware of that as he gives us this very succinct account of what happens. John is confused. How would you describe? Horrified? Shocked? Reluctant? This is wrong. Matthew is well aware as he has been presenting Jesus as the long-awaited Messiah, and here he is. And so in Matthew, John, John, the, the, John the Baptist, John's call to repentance is based on the presence and the incoming of the kingdom of God. John will save that talk about forgiveness of sins. He will reserve it in Matthew for the death and the resurrection of Jesus. Remember, the word repent means to turn around. It means to go in a different direction. It means to stop doing it your way, to stop doing it my way, and it's time for us to try it God's way, which is really quite logical when you think about it, if God exists. If God is the creator of all the universe, if God is the creator of you, shouldn't we give it a chance to live the way God intended? to relate to other people the way God intended, to set our life goals and how we're responding to people within our community all the way that God intended life to be. We don't know when Jesus really knew who he was. It's never told to us, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, when did Jesus finally and really understand who he was. Is, is it that day at the river? Was it before this? What, was it some high time in his teenage years? Part of our confession of Christianity is he is fully human and he is fully divine. And that fully human part means he has to struggle with all the things that, well, we struggle with, which is also figuring out who we are and what is our place in God's kingdom and God's plan. And how easily did that come to him? How difficult was that struggle? How Matthew's not concerned with telling us that part of the story. Instead, we get to wrestle with Jesus saying, this is to fulfill all righteousness. Righteousness. It refers to conduct. Living the way God intended living a life that's pleasing to God. You might want to try this translation. Jesus said, this is the right way for us to complete God's whole saving plan. The biblical symbolism is clear throughout the Old Testament. The people of Israel in bondage, slavery, set free, led out into the wilderness by Moses, and they marched through the waters of the Red Sea as they head to freedom, and there they received the law itself, the words of God to guide them. And Jesus, coming out of the water, will head to the mountainside and there give us the Sermon on the Mount, instructions for the people of God, not only how to be free, but how to stay free and live free as God's creation. But let's go back to the baptism. If baptism means anything, it means community. It's, it's welcome into the family of God. Isn't it Jesus saying on this day, I'm not doing this alone. 
and you can't do it alone either. It's me saying to those who follow us into the waters of our baptistry, what is your confession? And the answer is and always has been, Jesus is Lord. Caesar is not Lord. I'm not Lord. It's not my job or my money or my career plans or the power of illusion or control. Jesus is Lord. The early Christians loved baptism. You may know the name Tertullian. He is an early Christian leader from the last half of the second century. Here's how he described baptism in one of his writings. When we are going to enter the water, we solemnly profess that we disown the devil, his pomp, and his angels. I do not know what the pomp of the devil is, but I'm interested in knowing. Hereupon we are thrice immersed, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, making a somewhat ampler pledge than the Lord has appointed in the Gospels. Then, when we are taken up, we taste first a mixture of milk and honey. I kind of like that image, don't you? They would come out of the baptistry and we give them milk and honey that I've never tried together. And from that day, we refrain from the daily bath for a whole week. A whole week. No bath. A whole week. And they did it in the river, folks. Not a bad, yeah. A whole week. As historian Bill Leonard noted, those early Christians no doubt had the odor of sanctity all about them. <laughs> and they wanted to hang on to it. And however it was done for you, however it was done for me, we should remember what the Apostle Paul writes. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. We believe not only in just saying the words, Jesus is Lord, but now as Jesus people, we identify with him and how he taught and modeled for us to live. In the early Christian centuries, converts were baptized naked. Have you heard that? Wouldn't that change a Sunday morning worship experience? It's just, yeah, yeah. They, they put on white robes, not, yeah, thank you. They put on white robes not before they go into the baptistry like we do. They put on white robes after they came out of the waters of baptism. And then they wore those robes for a while as a way of signifying that they have put Christ on in their life. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. And we, like them, carry him with us wherever we go. Because baptism is an act of faith. What is your confession? Jesus is Lord. Baptism is about community. Baptism is about freedom. Freedom from constraints that culture may want to put on you freedom from constraints that others may say you're not worthy you're not ready no it's freedom to realize who you are in Christ freedom from hopelessness and from sin and from fear free to discover God's dreams for you nowhere has that lesson of freedom and baptism been realized freedom that is illustrated by that act of faith 
than in the American South during slavery time. White Christians most often qualified the gospel by insisting that baptism changed only the slave's eternal status, not their earthly condition. But try as we might, once they heard the gospel, once those people who were in bondage heard the liberating power of the gospel and it made its way into their hearts, it made its way into their lives. That little church I told you about a few moments ago, just outside of Frankfort, Kentucky, where a snake would occasionally want to attend a baptism. On your way to that church, I would pass almost daily the Forks of Elkhorn Baptist Church. There's a story about that church that goes back to 1807, when a Kentucky slave woman named Winnie had been baptized. And then the church decided they needed to discipline Winnie because she was now a member, a member of the body of Christ, and this is what she said, and I quote a historical source, she once thought it was her duty to serve her mistress and her master, but since the Lord had converted her and since her baptism, she had never believed that any Christian could keep slaves. And she got into more trouble when she said there were thousands of white people wallowing in hell for their treatment to slaves, and she didn't care if there were many more. <laughs> that woman talked about freedom. She talked about freedom that she experienced and lived. And baptism is an act of faith to people who have found themselves enslaved. Words that they have heard as children that are not true. Words that they have heard of hatred and anger and fear that are not true. Words instead that they hear that you are indeed made in the image of God, that you are indeed loved by God, and that you are part of what God has dreamed of and planned all along. Well, let's go back to the baptism of Jesus. The first three chapters in Matthew, clearly Matthew is dealing with the question of who is Jesus. You have to use your historical imagination a little bit. Imagine you really didn't know that much about Jesus. You did not grow up going to vacation Bible school. And you live in the last part of the first century or the early part of the second century. And now you're reading or hearing someone read Matthew's gospel. And in the first three chapters, you hear a lot of things about this person. You hear Jesus is the Messiah. You hear that he is the son of King David. You hear that he is the son of Father Abraham, but he's also the child of Mary. You hear that he's the offspring of the Holy Spirit and that he will save people from their sins. You hear that he is Emmanuel, God with us. Herod says that he's king of the Jews. He's from Galilee. He's from Nazareth. But when we get to this story, when we get to the baptism of Jesus, we finally get to what Matthew has been leading up to. Why Matthew is willing to skip 30 years to get us to this place in the story. A voice from heaven. When you read this account of the baptism of Jesus in Luke's gospel and Mark's gospel, when Jesus comes up out of the water, there is a voice from heaven. And the voice is directed to Jesus. You are my son, the beloved. In you I am pleased.
And as Matthew writes his story of Jesus, he wants to be sure that the readers get it. He wants to be sure that you get it, that I get it. And so he makes sure that we hear the voice. And instead of it saying, you are my son, the voice is, this is my son, my beloved. In him I am pleased. For three chapters, you may have been wondering who he is. For three chapters in this journey, is he really the Messiah? Is Who is this person? And now the voice from heaven, this is my son. And so as we begin 2023, the question is simple. Are you ready to believe that? Are you ready to lean into what that means about community and freedom and then opportunity to live into what the kingdom of God means now here in your school with your friends where you go to work where you shop the people we ignore in our neighborhood. It's part of a long story. It's a prayer that I'm thinking about at this moment that sounds like a prayer of desperation, a prayer of pain. It could be announced by any of us. It could come from any of our lips in a moment when we feel like we're all alone and we're not sure what the future holds. It's actually in Isaiah 64. It's on the lips of the prophet. And he cries out, oh, that you would tear open the heavens and come down. And Matthew says, that's exactly what happened that day. Praise God. Let's pray. Lord, we remember going into the water a little timid, a little afraid, senses acutely aware of the pressure and the temperature and people standing nearby watching and people praying, trying to remember what to say and what not to say. Will you guide us as we remember what we felt? Gratitude grace, love. Our confession is still Jesus is Lord. Would you help us this day to put you on like a new garment when we head out the door? To put you on when we walk into that restaurant? To, to put you on when we walk through the door of our home. And may your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. In Christ's name, amen. We continue our worship by listening to the voice of God. Sometimes it's a very clear, sometimes it's just a small, gentle nudge, a prompting, and we hope this morning that you will listen and respond.
If we can talk with you this morning and pray with you and introduce to you what it means to follow Christ, to be a disciple of Christ, we would love to have that opportunity. If you would like to have someone pray with you, we are here both now and after the service. Or if you have been looking for a group of people, because this is about community, we are not to do this alone, and you are not alone. Will you let us join you as you join us in the wonderful work God has given to us? Will you please stand as we sing?